I've been saying, I don't know, for a year that this is the Titanic. Uh, if Joe Biden won the nomination, it would be the Titanic and reelect Trump. I was told over and over and over by Morning Joe, by Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tupperware, uh, Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, uh, Paul Krugman, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, The Daily Beast, David Axelrod, David Plouffe, Gloria Borger, Dana Bosch, John King. I could go on with these gas bags. Biden's the safe choice. Biden's the electable choice. You remember that? Electable. And we'll get into Bernie. I have some criticisms of Bernie. Uh, but Biden's the electable choice. Um, he's the safe choice, you know? Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe Biden, middle-class Joe in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. What's amazing to me is we all knew we were being gaslit. We all knew that Biden was not the safest choice. We all knew that the choices Bernie Sanders made in not going after Joe Biden aggressively, it's not like Donald Trump and the Republican Party are gonna like needed ideas from Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is barely beating Trump right now nationally, and Trump hasn't even gone after him. They're just starting to run ads against him. He hasn't gone after him. Wait till he starts calling him NAFTA TPP Joe. Wait till the ads start uh, with all the weird, creepy video of Biden sniffing little children's hair and touching people weirdly. Wait till Biden, the videos of Biden uh, and pushing the Iraq war, the videos and the ads lying about lying about his civil rights records. None of this has even come yet. So what's amazing to me, new CNN poll, and I actually looked through the poll. It's so shocking. Let's just make a point here. It's so shocking that CNN during the primaries their polls always oversampled landline phones. Their polls always oversampled landline phones, which tend to be older people. But now that Bernie Sanders is no longer in the race, all of a sudden, CNN is able to find more cell phones than landlines. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, most people under 40 don't have landlines. Actually, most people under 50, I would argue don't have landlines. The study was conducted uh, for CNN via telephone, an independent research company. Uh, it was conducted May 7th through the 10th, uh, a sample of 1,112 respondents. The landline totals were 435 and the cell phones were 677. Hey, Jen, you've painfully gone through a lot of these polls during the primary. Do you remember going through those polls do you remember a lot of polls where, if it was Bernie and the Democratic candidates, that you saw more cell phones sampled than landlines? Maybe I could count one or two polls that did that. But now all of a sudden that Bernie's out, oh, these polling companies are able to find a more equal distribution of young versus old. Isn't that interesting that they're able to do that? Just shocking. Would love your thoughts, Jim if you're in the super chat. So this poll, decent, decent, um, decent sample size, uh, over a thousand people. This poll, 
I mean, you just can't make this up. In the battleground states, here's the map Colin made. Maine, New Hampshire, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. Believe it or not, Georgia is now a battleground. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada. So those are 15 battleground states. Obviously, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin tossed the, camp, the election in 2016 to Trump. Uh, those were the key states in 2016 that helped Trump become the president. Trump is beating Biden in those battleground states by seven percentage points. Seven percentage points. Trump is beating Biden in the key battleground states. And no offense to you guys if you don't live in these key battleground states. But if you don't live in these key battleground states, then frankly, you don't matter. Because the United Corporations of America, the way we do our elections, unlike many others, is not based on who actually gets the most votes in the totality of the country. It's just based on, you know, a couple states. So these are the states that matter. Some of them, I think, I don't know if I would consider battleground, but the majority of these here are battleground states. Trump, with real unemployment, real unemployment, not like the official unemployment. Official unemployment, 14.7%. Horrific. The real unemployment number, 24.9%. Let's just round it to 25%. So with real unemployment at 25%, the Democratic or presumptive nominee is down seven points. I mean, that is absolutely pathetic. Pathetic. And we were lied to say, this guy's the safe choice. This guy's the electable choice. Just, just like the same gas bags lied that the DNC was hacked by Russia, these same gas bags lied about weapons mass destruction. They manufactured consent mainly to convince older voters that, you know, you might not love Biden. What did Joe Biden say that time? Hey, you might not really like Joe. You might not love him. You might like other people in healthcare, but at the end of the day, you gotta hold your nose and vote for the person who's gonna be Trump. But no actual evidence was ever provided why is Joe Biden the safest choice? Actually, if you actually read the polls, so 51% of registered voters back Biden, while 46% back Trump. So, you know, Biden nationally is up. What is that? 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. Five points, which is not even that big of a lead at this point. It could get bigger as the, as the economy continues to collapse, but... It's kind of striking that, I mean, this was just taken within recent days. The economy already has collapsed. And in the key battleground states, I mean, Trump's up seven points. That's a pretty significant lead in the states that matter. But it actually gets worse. Under 50, to me, is really, really bad for Biden. Look at these favorability ratings in the battleground states. Again, these 15 states. Trump, under 50, 44% favorability, 53% unfavorable. So that's, I wasn't expecting 44% favorable for Donald Trump under the age of 50. 
uh, I was expecting much lower and actually higher, unfavorable. But Biden is viewed under the age of 50 less favorably than Trump. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this up. Joe Biden, who was called the safest candidate, Joe Biden, who was called the electable candidate, Joe Biden that had Obama basically steamroll all the other candidates out of the race within three days, has a less favorable rating among people under the age of 50 than Trump. Now, to be fair, you know, it's not that much less favorably, but 40% favorability rating? Gee, I wonder why. When you don't offer people under the age of 50 anything, really, oh, thank you for lowering the Medicare age to 60 is your proposal. Doesn't help anyone under 50. But the Trump at 44%. How is that even possible? You, I mean, a paper bag should have a higher favorability rate, probably does, than Trump among people under 50. But then over 50, I would expect it to be a lot better for Biden. Well, I expected wrong. Trump, 49 even. Favorable, 49. Unfavorable, 49. Biden, 50% favorability rating, so a point higher than Trump. And 44% unfavorable, so a couple points lower than Trump. But... I mean, over 50, that, 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 frankly, Biden's really core demographic was over 65. That was his, his moneymaker in the primary. But over 50, I mean, he should have above 60%, 65%, 70% above the age of 50. Come on, boomers, what are you doing here? I thought you love the slow diet of incrementalism and gradualism. But the fact that Trump, who also did well among older voters, his unfavorable is only five points worse than Biden? Oh my God. Do you know what this is telling me, folks? Do you know what these numbers are telling me, having covered a lot of elections? This shows to me, even though the narrative is oh, amid an economic crisis, we're going to have unprecedented voting. This shows to me, you have two pretty, I mean, I don't want to say unpopular because Trump does have a, a, a feverish base, but I see a similar dynamic playing to Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, where you have two candidates that most people are not really enamored with either way, besides pure partisans that are diehard into politics, everybody else who's not diehard into politics, they don't like Trump, but they can't get excited for Biden because he's not offering anything. 
You know what happens when that sentiment is out there? Uh, the vote is depressed. The vote is suppressed. You have a lower voter turnout, which Hillary Clinton had. As I always say, MSNBC won't tell you this, but Hillary Clinton, compared to Obama in 2012, had 5% less African-Americans come out for her, had 5% less Latinos come out for her, and had 6% less age 18 to 29 come out for her. So these numbers are not showing, are not showing a huge, uh, you know, upswing for Biden. And particularly the under 50, if you can't crack 50%, under 50 favorable, favorability, and like I said in the beginning, CNN actually polled a decent amount of people. And they polled more people via cell phone than they did landline. So that shows you there was a lot of younger people polled. It's so funny and interesting how they were able to poll younger pe- more younger people, a more representative number of younger people, once Bernie was out. When Bernie was in, oh no, we couldn't, we somehow couldn't manage to find an equal representation of under 50 versus older 50. As we showed you throughout the primary, they were wildly oversampling older voters. But to me, there's nothing Biden can do to change this other than, I mean, radically overhauling his entire presentation, jumping on the bandwagon of Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, Um, banning fracking, you know, starting to talk about ending these wars, canceling student loan debt. No, it's not April Fool's. That's the only way you're going to excite the under 50 crowd. Really the under 40 crowd, but in this case, the under 50 crowd. And he ain't going to do any of that because his donors won't let him. His donors will not let him. Because it's not ultimately up to Joe Biden. It's not even ultimately up to Donald Trump. It's up to the donors. They pull the strings. That's why we live in the United Corporations of America, folks. The other, let's look a little closer at this poll, looking at each age demographic. Because to me, I mean, if this doesn't change and change quick for Biden, uh, I mean, it's over before it started. And it's kind of pathetic that he has these numbers considering a real unemployment level of 25%. This poll was taken like a couple days ago. So the economy was already collapsed when people were polled about this. So if you look at the specific age groups, there we go. Biden, 18 to 34. So that's the millennials, 33%, 33% favorability, 55% unfavorable. That's uh, the kiddies, a lot of you watching, 55% unfavorable among millennials. Who are you going to pick? Amy Klobuchar or Kamala Harris? Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, that'll get the millennials out. 35 to 49, I mean, better, but not even breaking even. 
44 favorable, 45. 50 to 64, so this should be a commanding difference. 48-45. That's three percentage points favorability. 65, which is his, his core group. 20 points, I mean, 20-point differential, it's good, but the bottom line is you cannot, you can't win. You know, they keep saying, oh, Biden could bring back the Obama coalition. Well, the Obama coalition, you know, most young people, including me at the time, got hoodwinked, thought Obama was a progressive. He was obviously a Citigroup sellout. Citigroup picked his cabinet, never went after bankers. You know, a Republican health care plan hatched out of the Heritage Foundation, droning half the world. I mean, we could go on. But you, Obama coalition was a lot of young people. Biden's over 20 points down among millennials. Does the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party's main strategy to fix that? The Democratic Party's main strategy to fix that is to voter shame millennials. Thank you, Jason Milton, $10 in the super chat. On Morning Joe today, they were slobbering for TPP Joe's strategy of writing it out the election in his basement. While Trump bundles the pandemic response, what do you think about the Dems laying low? Yeah, obviously, you know, TPP Joe in the basement is working out so well since he's seven points down in the critical states he needs to win. To be fair to Joe Biden and his campaign, it's only one poll. A lot of things could change. The thing that's really, no, he cannot win just bunkering in the basement, where, by the way, he's barely coherent when he does do interviews. But why this is so troubling, you know, I don't want to play pundit here, but I've traveled enough and I've interviewed enough people in the last five years on the ground. I've covered two campaigns, Standing Rock, Flint, East Chicago, Alabama, uh, North Carolina. I've been to a lot of places, thanks to you, too. Um, I think we're starting to learn that people don't vote only. I mean, yes, some people do, but most people don't vote just out of fear or just out of hate for one candidate. That's what the media thinks. That's what these coastal elites think in New York and D.C., that uh, Biden will win because the anti-Trump vote will be so high. That's what Hillary ran on. And that's why they were delusional enough to give the finger to progressives. Let me pick Tim Kaine, a Republican, basically. We don't need to cater to progressives. We'll try to get moderate Republicans and never Trumpers, which is exactly what Biden's doing right now. Reports have come out that that's what there might be a Republicans for Biden group coming out with figures like Bill Kristol, another warmonger. So the scary thing about this, scary if, you know, if you really don't want Trump, I don't want Trump to get reelected, but I'm also not cheerleading here for Joe Biden either. I'm not taking this get shot in the face or poisoned choice. Look at this. All of this is before Trump has even really laid a finger on Biden. And of course, Biden's campaign is going to hit Trump with everything but the kitchen sink. But honestly, what more horrible things can the American people learn about Donald Trump that they don't already know? I mean, I think the cake is kind of baked as far as 
viewpoint on Trump. Bernie, and I criticized him during the campaign. I'm criticizing him now because I don't think he's doing enough. Bernie didn't lay a finger on Joe Biden. Let's keep it real. I'm not calling him a sellout. I'm not calling him a fraud, a coward like some others. Even people I respect uh, that are saying those things, I I respectfully disagree with going that far. All of this is before Biden has had a glove laid on him. Trump hasn't done one ad or tweet yet calling him NAFTA TPP Joe. He hasn't done one ad or tweet yet calling him uh, of his videos, sniffing children's hair and the weird things he's done. Hasn't done one ad. Bernie should have done, and I don't understand why he didn't. It was absurd. One ad hitting him on his lies about being arrested in apartheid South Africa and being on the front lines of the civil rights sit-ins. Palling around with Strom Thurmond, segregationists in the 1970s working to stop busing. Him talking about, uh, I don't think the black man should get a head start to even the race with the white man. None of Bernie didn't do any of this. You think Trump's going to hold back? Trump has not even laid a finger. The only thing he's done so far is run ads on Biden's coziness with China, which is going to be devastating to Biden because there's a lot there. So these numbers now, seven points down, and nobody's laid a real finger on you. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. This is really bad territory. And what I'm starting to see is the same exact stuff as 2016. Instead of making a serious pivot, they're doing, they're doubling down on the anti-Trump. Joe Biden has not proposed one real thing to actually help people amid the coronavirus pandemic. He's not, he is not jumping on to Bernie's bill with Kamala Harris and Ed Markey. I don't care whether Kamala Harris and Ed, Mark, Ed Markey mean it or not. They got a bill in there, $2,000 a month, individuals, $4,000 a month for married couples, and those married couples would receive an additional 2000 per children. That's something real. He hasn't signed on to that, Biden, even though his potential vice president, Kamala Harris, has. He hasn't said a word about Rashida Tlaib's bill for a, refu- a replenishable debit card until the coronavirus is no longer devastating economies. Hasn't said a word. A refundable credit card of $2,000 a month. Hasn't said a word about Pramila Jayapal's proposal that Nancy Pelosi just tossed in the garbage and wouldn't include in her garbage bill that I went through yesterday. Pramila Jayapal's bill for the America to do everything to do what Europe is doing and just the government cover payrolls so people don't have to be unemployed, that people can continue working or getting paid so unemployment wouldn't be so high. People would still have health care in this ridiculous employer-based system. So, you know, is Amy Klobuchar? Hey, no offense to our older folks watching. If you're in this 18 to 34 bucket, tell me, is Amy Klobuchar getting your juices flowing as vice president if you're a millennial? Is that going to jack up Biden's favorable rating? How about Kamala Harris? 
specifically uh, millennial black people. You like Kamala Harris and her, you know, jailing innocent black men and corruption as California's attorney general? Is it just, oh, she's a black woman, so you get points for woke? So all of this is absurd. And you want to know something? I'm not big on predictions, but I do have a prediction. Um, I think it's a pretty, pretty bad sign when the Democratic most electable choice is down seven points in the most critical states and he can't construct full sentences most of the time. And he has Lawrence Summers advising him on economic matters. And his top donors are in the banking, hedge fund, and healthcare industries. And his strategy to turn this around is to do podcasts from his basement, occasional softball interviews with George Stephanopoulos and MSNBC hosts, and not actually propose anything. Oh, a good segue. We're going to get out of this with those amazing task forces. And for those of you saying I don't take Bernie to task, here, let's take Bernie to task. The, the, the picks are in. The picks are in for the Bernie Biden task forces. Task forces. This is what we got as progressives for endorsing Joe Biden. If you're Bernie Sanders, we got some task forces. So we could come up with some ideas for future President Biden. So he could take those ideas and wipe his gross ass with it. Here's Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, after conferring with grassroots activists and climate allies, I am accepting Bernie Sanders' nomination to co-chair the Climate Change Unity Task Force with Secretary, former Secretary of State John Kerry. Uh, our planet is dangerously imperiled, and wherever there are decisions made, the people must have a voice. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I've always believed that real change happens not with a panel or a task force, but in everyday people organizing mass movements to demand change. Yet we should also commit to showing up everywhere, every space where there are decisions and formative conversations with movement voices. I am also encouraged that we're not in this fight alone to be on a team with Kathy Flowers, Pramila Jayapal, Sarah Nelson, uh, Abdul El Sayed, Stephanie Kelton, and uh, Varsha Prakash of the Sunshine, sorry, I'm mispronouncing her name, uh, of the Sunrise Movement, and others pushing for 21st century public policy means we are in this together. Inside pressure, outside organizing. I think I want to read something David, David Sirota wrote on this because it, I think, puts it well. Um, all these thoughts bubble to the surface as I read the celebratory declarations about Joe Biden's new policy, quote, task forces. They are a mix of party dinosaurs, corporate zombies, and some terrific progressive voices. And we are asked to earnestly evaluate and applaud the complexion of the task force as if they are a genuine endeavor, as if they are something truly real. 
there is already hand-wringing and celebration about who is and isn't on these task forces. But step back from that and consider the bigger picture. Consider how condescending, how mocking, the entire task force dance really is. It's as if the Biden campaign went into the basement of the DNC, dusted off a three-ring binder from 1983 titled How to Run Campaigns, and turned to page 863B for the section entitled, quote, Post-Primary Unity Blueprint, and we are all expected to pretend that this is something real. But of course, we all know it's not real, because we know we don't suffer from a lack of good policy ideas that require new task forces to litigate. We know that we instead suffer from a lack of political will and political power. We all know in our hearts that we don't really need another climate task force. We know we just need a Democratic nominee who commits to supporting existing Green New Deal legislation. We all know we don't really need a health care task force. We know we just need a Democratic nominee who commits to not vetoing Medicare for All legislation that is already co-sponsored by a majority of U.S. House Democrats. You can go to davidsorota.com for his newsletter that I was just reading from. So let me explain to you why this is ridiculous. And frankly, Bernie Sanders is either hiding something from us and there's some deal that we don't know about where we're actually going to get a lot more, but we just can't release it yet. I don't think that's true. Or he's just extremely naive. It's one or the other. My guess is it's the extreme naivete. First of all, it's not just the task force. We have to look before the task force. There was reporting that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez kind of, sort of, strike, struck down, but really didn't strongly strike it down. There was reporting that Ocasio-Cortez had hired some more traditional advisors, got rid of, you know, her really aggressive, progressive chief of staff. Uh, her communications director is no longer there, and her new strategy was to try and, you know, I guess this inside-outside strategy. And the inside strategy would be trying to be create relationships with the Democratic Party uh, dinosaurs that David Sirota uh, suggested. And try and create relationships and courtships and not be so hostile. She has not endorsed many primary challengers to incumbents like we expected her to do. I think she's endorsed one in the Bronx uh, and Jessica Cisneros, who lost down in Texas. That's it. Um, so, of course, yeah, you have to compromise as an elected official sometimes. She's elected. So is Jayapal. So is um, Tlaib, Omar, Rokana. I, we wish as progressive outsiders, not in Congress, we could just burn the whole place down. I'd never have to compromise. But what are you compromising about? And are you ever getting anything for, the, for compromising? Are you getting anything tangible for these compromises? Are you getting anything tangible for court, courtships and calling Nancy Pelosi a corrupt sellout? She's a sellout. Are you getting anything for calling her mama bear and voting for these whole bills? To be fair, AOC was the only one 
who voted against the corporate bailout bill. If you're going to make compromises, what are you getting for those compromises? If you're going to play ball with Nancy Pelosi and call her mama bear and vote for most of these bills and not be adversarial and not uh, endorse progressive challengers to incumbents. She has not endorsed many progressive challengers to incumbents. What are we getting for it? As far as I can see, what we're getting for it is a task force. In theory, AOC's notion of uh, I have always believed that real change happens not with a panel or a task force, but in everyday people organizing mass movements to demand change. Yet we should also commit to showing up everywhere, every space where there are decisions and formative conversations with movement voices. Yeah, I agree with the second thing. We should show up everywhere. But the problem is, if you're going to play ball and try and do these inside baseball strategies, you have to have a bigger fight on the outside. You can't just settle for task forces as, as some great thing when you're not doing anything on the outside. 